Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Uh, the book of Colossians, we're going to be in chapter, beginning chapter 1 this morning. We are starting a new series this morning uh, on the book of Colossians. Don't know the entire schedule yet and have it all mapped out, but roughly we're going to be in Colossians through the end of the year, um, just to kind of give you kind of some general bearings. Uh, Colossians, uh, probably be aware of this, was written by Paul to the church in Colossae. Um, the, the church that Paul was writing to was probably actually about the, 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 the size and about the age of living hope. So it was a young church. It was a very small church. And, and in, in many ways, it was, it was very much a struggling church. So they were, they, they were a church who was really sh- fail, just struggling to grow. They were really just struggling to kind of make an impact on the world around them. They were kind of being inundated, but they felt like they weren't really making much progress towards their mission. And they were actually beginning even to regress a little bit spiritually when Paul was writing to them. And, um, because apparently living for Christ in a world hostile to you can, can be hard. And so Paul wanted to write this letter to encourage them as they were struggling along. And so, though I don't believe living hope, I don't, we're not doing this because I believe living hope to be a struggling church or anything like that. But I think we can relate to the fact that walking out our Christian life and being a young church and being a church on mission and living on mission in the world is, is met with opposition and it's met with difficulty and that every church, that every church this side of glory has issues to grow in and problems that need addressing and challenges it faces. So I really do believe that, that Paul's encouragement to us and instruction for us is, is very timely, is very, is very helpful. And in particular, Paul was addressing the, this issue of arising in the church of false teaching false teaching within the church. And there was really two sources of false teaching in Colossae at the time. And there was false teaching coming from, coming from culture. But it, even though it was coming from culture, it was being believed in the church, that it was having an influence. The values of the culture around them were beginning to influence the values of the church and inform the values of the church. And it even had begun to, to lead to, from the pulpit, in a sense, that there was false teaching from the pulpit. Now, I've obviously not been here long. I'm not really worried that Living Hope has had a false teaching coming from the pulpit. Uh, by God's grace, may that never happen. But, but false teaching is, is, is tricky, right? Because it's rarely labeled as false teaching. And the speaker who's giving false teaching rarely believes it to be false. They, they say it because it, they believe it to be true. But more than from the pulpit, we, we live in a culture that just has false teaching all the time, as false hopes and false narratives and false values, messages that we are just constantly inundated by just living in this culture. We have so many things just coming around us just that compete for our mental attention and just seek to shape the narrative in which we live our lives in. And they can be deceptive because they have bits of truth inside of them. They can have teaching that doesn't, that looks a little good at first, but it's just off-centered and it's just off-balanced in some way. And so just to recognize that we as Christians who, and I believe this church has been very well taught, even well-taught Christians are not immune, that we are not, we are not smarter than the first generation. We are not more apt to sort of just be immune to culture around us, that, that we as Christians are, are very much we are vulnerable to false teaching. Like just to recognize that, that this church had Paul and they had Timothy, who in church history are sort of some, like two of the greatest teachers you're going to get as a church, right? So that, that's who they had. And at this point, 
we're sort of stuck with this arrangement. So you're just, I'm just to say I'm, I'm less than Paul and Timothy in my ability to teach. So there's just the recognition. If they are sort of vulnerable to sort of just, okay, how does culture influence? Certainly we are vulnerable as well, that we are just, we, we, we just swim in a culture. And so whatever the values of that culture are, it's hard not to get wet in some way by what's, what's around us. And so just to recognize that we are, we are vulnerable to be, to be influenced by the messages that surround us. And so we need this book because I, I love this book that one of the things that Paul does repeatedly is he just points to the antidote to, to false messages, to false teaching, to just false influences around us. What he, what he offers is, is a cure that it, it, it matters to the church and to the Christian in every age and through every storm and through every falsehood. And what he does is he doesn't primarily look at what's, what's false around us and just pick that apart in every detail, but he just points us again and again to what is true and to what is glorious. He points us again and again to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ over all things. And so he, he points us to who Christ is time and time again and makes us aware of his reign time and time again of the glory of Jesus Christ time and time again and points us to the hope in him in everything but not just to the hope in Jesus for everything, but for every day. So we're calling this series The Daily Dominion of Christ. And what, what this series is, what the book of Colossians is about, and this series is, about, is really about how, how Christ rules, how everything is under his dominion, that all truth is his truth, that, 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 that Christ rules everything. But it's not just that Christ rules everything, that that makes a difference in our lives every day makes a difference in our hope and in how we invest in the community and in our ethics and in how we relate to one another. So this book doesn't just sort of point above in some abstract way, but it's, it's a very practical book. Colossians is just, just filled with just practical truths and wisdom. It makes the, the truths of the glory of Jesus Christ fuel and govern just our daily hope and our daily obedience. And so Colossians just keeps pointing us to the fact that Jesus Christ rules and that affects not just our worship on Sunday, but of our obedience on Monday and what we live for on Saturdays. So the reign of Christ affects everything we do and everything we are and everything we hope for. So I'm personally excited just to be, be studying this book with you all. I recently read an article from, from Atlantic Magazine that was written in the year 1947. So it was uh, just, it's kind of cool that you can just Google search stuff and you get these these old articles, but it was, it was, a, it was a profile on, on the future Queen Elizabeth. So in 1947, six years before she took the throne, it was a profile, so long before she became the longest serving monarch in history and one of the youngest, it profiled a young, uh, I guess, it, what was it, Princess Elizabeth? Is that the, yeah, I guess before you're queen. That's every, like every two-year-old knows that one, right? Okay. Um, uh, so profiled a young Princess Elizabeth before she became queen and her education, and she really had a unique education for her. So it used, she was the first one who kind of in the long line of ro royals, all the royals would kind of attend like their sort of just royal academies and they would just sort of get the royal education. How do you be a queen? How do you, all this kind of stuff. And, and it's a very strict school and all that. And so she did that part of school, but she also just went to a regular school. Now, I don't think a regular school, like I went to a regular school growing up. I mean, I think it was probably the elite regular school, but she had other students who weren't nobility and, and all this sort of stuff. She had regular classes in math and science and English, and so she, she, she went through this special school because she really, she had a burden at the time because she recognized, hey, I, I'm going to be queen someday, so I want to learn not just how to be a queen, 
but I want to understand something of what it's like to live under a queen. So I not only want to learn to be a monarch, but I want to have this sort of a basic understanding of what's it like to live life under a monarch. And so I want to kind of have this normal experience and see what, in a sense, normal people learn and how they live under a monarch. And she had this, to me, just this profound understanding of, of whoever rules and whatever their rule is like really has a practical effect on the everyday lives of people who live in that country. It impacts them sort of every day of their life. And I just think, man, if, if Queen Elizabeth, who, who was, she's actually been ruling for a while, but she rules for a temporary time over a temporary place, and in so many ways she's just a figurehead. How much more does the eternal re- rule of Jesus who reigns over every square inch of existence, how much more is that meant to impact us? And so really in many ways, Paul is writing this so we understand what's the, how does the reign of Christ affect our daily lives because it's meant to transform us daily. And so that's what the daily dominion of Christ is about, the, the certainty of his reign affecting every day of our lives each day. And so with that I want to begin by looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning, where Paul begins his letter by reminding us of the certainty of our hope that we have, the, the, the certainty of this hope and the certainty of his hope and how that's meant to work in our lives. So let's look at verses 1 through 5 together. It's Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae, grace, and peace, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up in heaven for you. So I used to work, uh, my first job out of college was I worked for a United States senator, and one of the things we would do in our office was, my office was in charge of like sort of writing letters to anybody that would write the senator. So if you wrote him for anything, legislation, you wanted to, you know, get his autograph, just any concern, any issue, any questions, you would write letters. And so the senator would write literally thousands of letters out every year. I mean, probably tens of thousands of letters would go out from his office every year. And I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. He didn't individually get his sort of pen and quill and write each of these letters individually, right? But what, what he did, right, is he, he had these form letters that he would write. And it was dear so-and-so. And, and no matter what the issue was, no matter who he was writing to, every letter sounded the exact same, like, all throughout. It was like paragraph three there'd be like some reference maybe to the issue you wrote about, but that would be bad. I mean, every letter said the exact same thing, but maybe a few words would be different. And, and you're just sort of like, oh, okay, I sort of see you talked about the thing I'm talking about. Like it was just sort of this form letter way of writing and you, you would do that. And I don't know if you ever received a letter like that, right? Maybe you just, you get something from an advertiser, you get something, any political thing you get in the mail. It, it's gonna just be like, okay, what, you're just, you're not writing to me, you're just writing to everyone, and it's sort of this blah, 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 what, what, do you, what do you need to tell me? I think we need to be careful not to do this with this book. So even in the intro, uh, listen, Paul's not writing a form letter. He's not just sort of giving out, okay, let me just send out some gr- general greetings. This is, Paul is right away beginning with the good stuff. He, he's not easing his way into sort of teaching. He's jumping right into the heart of the message of this book. 
And in, me, and in verse 5, he's pointing to the hope we have in Christ, because, be, the hope we have because of Jesus Christ, that our hope is not just a hope, but we have a certainty that we have an eternal hope, that we have a hope that is fixed in heaven, that the dominion of Christ fixes our hope, and our hope is secure. So, so Paul starts thanking God because we have an eternally secure hope waiting for us in heaven. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the Christian is a man who can be certain about the ultimate when he, even when he is most uncertain about the immediate. So two, two simple points that I want to look at this morning of, of how Christ rule transforms everything. Two points that I want to look at this morning. And one is what fuels hope? What fuels hope? So again, verse 5, Paul is thanking God because of the hope laid up in heaven for you. So in verse 5, Paul is very confident we have every reason to have hope. We have eternally secure hope. Well, why? What fuels our hope? Why is Paul confident for the hope we have? Well, verse 4, which precedes it, says this, because of your faith in Jesus Christ. When one has faith in Jesus Christ, they have every reason for hope. Now, what Paul's talking about is not just faith and faith in some vague notion in heaven or faith in some sort of that things will turn out well in the end or that if we live a good life, things will sort of turn around and, and end out well for us. But he's noting, no, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done and what he has accomplished on their behalf, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have every reason for hope. So for anyone and for everyone who have placed their hope in Jesus, they have a hope secured for them for all eternity. And our hope, again, is, it's not in our own faith, meaning Paul's is not saying it's about how much faith you have or that you might have on a good day or you might get to someday. It's, it's dependent on how much faith you have. But listen, if you have any faith in Jesus Christ, if you place, it's not about the amount of faith, but it's what your faith is in. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, that should fuel our hope. So whether that be an unwavering faith or at times a weak faith, whether that's faith in the easy days or in the most difficult moments. But if your faith is, is in Jesus Christ, what, what Paul's noting is, is it's not, hey, the half of you with the most faith in, it, in the church right now, I've got great hope for you. But if your faith is in Jesus Christ, to whatever degree, to however much you've been, been able to put your faith in the right place, then you have a hope in heaven. And our hope that is secure for us in heaven is not a hope that, sort of, I hope my football team will do well this year, and sort of resigned to the fact that they won't, but I hope they will, right? But, but what Paul's pointing to isn't a hope like that, like, oh, I, I, I hope this thing happens. He, he's saying, no, it's a certain, the hope that the Christian has is a certainty, that we have a certainty of a glorious future. The hope that is stored in heaven is glorious and it's secure and it is fixed. It is a fixed reality. If your faith is in, is in Jesus Christ, then, then your hope is immovable. Nothing will happen to the hope that, that is up ahead. So if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you have a hope laid up for you in heaven that will not be changed. And Paul also notes there is something else that fuels our hope. He also says in verse 4, so... Since I, uh, since I heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love you have for all the saints. Now, how does this fuel our hope? 
because a love of the saints is evidence of a heart transformed by Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is noting here is that those with faith are changed and are different. We turn from from selfishness and from some self-focus and pride and living for today and living for us to a transformed, genuine love for others. Now, notice in verse 2 who he's writing this book to. He is writing this book to, to saints and faithful brothers in the church. Now, What's interesting is he, he's right. Now, this isn't like a special designation he has. Okay, the, the, the saints in Colossae and the faithful brothers in Colossae, this is for you, but everybody else, you may be listening, but this really isn't intended for you. No, he's writing to everyone in this church, and he's saying over their lives, because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and because you are in the process of being transformed out of selfishness to a love for one another, what, what Paul is writing here is it's much more about our, our position it's much more about our position as saints, our position as, saint, uh, as, as brothers, than, than about our performance at any one time. He's saying what you are are saints and brothers, and that is an eternal fixed reality. There's going to be some days where you're not acting very saintly. There's going to be some days where you're not really the one that faithful brother would be a designation over, but, but here's what's happening. He's, re, he's recognizing, but, but God will keep us through to the eternity, so our, the eternal perspective God has is that you are a saint and that you are a faithful brother. And so he's not primarily writing about what our performance is like at any time. But because of Jesus, this is our status. Our status is, is saints. Our status is, is brothers. And so he is confident in our status, even as we waver in our performance, even as we have good days and bad days in our performance, this is still what's true, that we are saints and brothers. And so here's what Paul wants to note. Those with faith, Though at times their faith be weak, though at times their faith be imperfect, those who love the brothers, though not perfectly but genuinely, those who are walking in the good of having their lives transformed but haven't been completely transformed yet, imperfect people but changing people, have an eternal hope, a hope that is in heaven, and yet it is a hope Though the hope is in heaven, it transforms our life on earth. See, if your faith, if you have a faith in Jesus, and if you are being transformed slowly but surely, then, then you have eternal hope. So that's what, that's what fuels our hope. Now, second point I want to look at is what, what hope fuels. So the second point is what hope fuels. So faith fuels our hope, and here's what hope fuels more faith, and more good works. You see, hope leads more and more to a transformed heart. So, so in verse 4 and 5 again, he says, your faith and your love, so basically because of your faith and your love, basically because, so Paul's saying, okay, because of these things, I am confident you have this hope, but then in verse 5 he says, but because you, because you have this hope, you have faith and you have love. Do you see, it's sort of, he's, it leads to more security and more love and more good works. What is he saying? Is that hope fuels that sort of, Faith and love and a transform leads to hope, but the fact that we have this hope leads to more sort of grace and grace and more and more good fruit in our lives. What Paul's pointing to is there's just this glorious cycle of grace and mercy that takes place in the life of the believer, that there's more and more security, that the more we walk in these things, the more we place our hope in eternity, and the more we place our hope in eternity, the more we walk in the good of these things. The more, we anch- the more and more we anchor our hope in heaven, the more and more we are transformed to be faithful on earth. 
John Piper writes, a strong confidence in the promises of God and a passionate preference for the joy of heaven over the joy of the world frees a person from worldly self-centeredness, from paralyzing regret and self-pity, from fear and greed and bitterness and despair and laziness and impatience and envy. And in the place of all these sins, hope bears the fruit of love. It is not heavenly mindedness that hinders love. It is worldly worldly mindedness that hinders love, even when it is disguised by a religious routine on the weekend. Where is the person whose heart is so passionately in love with the promised glory of heaven that he feels like an exile and a sojourner on the earth? Where is the person who has has so tasted the beauty of the age to come that the diamonds of the world look like baubles and the entertainment of the world is empty and the moral causes of the world are too small because they have no view to eternity? Only one thing satisfies the heart whose treasure is in heaven, doing the works of heaven. And heaven is a world of love. It is not the cords of heaven that bind the hands of love. It is the love of money and leisure and comfort and praise. These are the cords that bind the hands of love. And the power to sever these cords is Christian hope. See, here's here's the cycle that Paul's setting out in the opening of Colossians, and it really sets the stage for the entire book, that those with faith in Christ should be so absolutely confident, should be so certain, should be so transfixed by their future that it grounds and governs all they do on earth. See, where, where, we, where, we, where we look to our hope and we have eyes ahead because of our hope, we are transformed for our life here and now. Not, not to earn this future, but because they are confident they've already been given this because of Jesus Christ. And so, faith in Christ fuels our hope and our hope fuels more and more of the good of walking with a faith in Christ. And so one of the things I love about this book is it's Paul looks at what is an unspectacular church from the eyes of the world, going through good days and a lot of hard days. And he looks at a church that seems at the surface to be making very little impact on the world around them. And he looks at a church full of individual believers who person after person after person, their lives seem so unspectacular going through the good and the bad and the hard and the easy. And in what seems to be unspectacular on the surface, Paul is telling that church and these people, people very much like us, you should have an unwavering hope and an unwavering surety and an unwavering confidence because the grace and peace of Jesus Christ has been poured out and has begun a good work and he will finish the good work and he will bring you securely to the end. And so as our hearts and minds sort of focus on Christ who is above and focus on the hope that is above, it should keep us serving here. See, a hope in heaven transforms everything about us here on earth. So with that, just a a couple of thoughts, just very practical thoughts, I hope, as as we begin this series. So we're going to be spending, again, roughly the rest of the year kind of going verse by verse through this book. And so let me just encourage you to read this book. Let me encourage you to make a plan to, to read this book. So, so you can read this in about 15 minutes. Um, but one of the things I love about this book is even though it's really short, Paul also really takes time to explain the rule of Christ and how that affects us. So it's, it, it, it's kind of deceptive in that it really is quick, and yet you get into these details of like, boy, Christ is much bigger than you think. Like the, the reign of Christ, it just makes bigger difference and he he wants how christ 
the reign of Christ to just transform our daily perspective. And so, so let me encourage you to, to read this book. If you've ever really, if you've wondered, hey, does what I really watch on TV or does that, what do I watch on TV, does that really uh, impact my eternity? Does, does, does how I spend my money, does God actually care about, about how I spend my money? Does that really have any eternal significance? If you've ever wondered that, I would say read this book. If, if you ever have struggled because it feels like so much of what you do is, is, is unseen or unnoticed or unappreciated, whether that be at church or in your home or somewhere in the community or with your friends, that, boy, I, I feel like I serve, but it just feels like it, it's just unnoticed and unappreciated, that you serve people all day and you pour out your life for your family or you pour out your life in some way to serve the community, and yet it seems to be making little impact and it feels like those who you pour out your life for barely even perceive it. If you have ever felt like that, I would say, read this book, because it's a great encouragement. If you've ever found yourself that, boy, I, not that I'm unhappy, but I, I don't know that my joy is really rooted in the Lord, but, but I know my joy should be in the Lord, but it feels like my joy is more and more rooted in my circumstances, that my, heart, my, my thoughts aren't really heavenward, I'd say, read this book. Because this book places our eyes to the glory of Jesus Christ again and again, to the transcendent and exalted Christ. This book is meant to fuel our every day, day in, day out of our lives. On that note of just reading the book, one resource I want to point out that they have a, um, a slide for there is, um, if you have a plan for what you're doing devotionally the next several months, keep on that plan. I, your plan is better than me just giving you a new plan at the 11th hour, but if you don't have a plan for sort of what you're going to be going through devotionally, I just want to recommend this resource to you. It's called The Hope of Glory by Sam Storms. It's, it's 100 devotionals from the book of Colossians. It is, it's just an out, he's an outstanding author. He's one of my favorite authors. Um, it's a really good resource. Um, I commend the author. I commend this book. But one of the things I love about it is it's not a very technical book. Like, Whatever, whatever age level you are at in this room, you, you, can, you can follow along with this book. It, it is wonderful, but it's 100 devotions on, on just on, on from the book of Colossians and just how, again, how Christ should transform us every day. But then as we begin, just some, just some thoughts I'd, I'd have in mind, just some maybe questions to be wrestling through, almost not a, a this morning application question, not just this morning sermon, but sort of, as we go through the book of, of, of this book, just what are sort of some questions I should be having in mind as, as we think about sort of a view, the, the reign of Christ impacting us every day? So one would just be, is, is there an area of fear? Is there an area that I have that I, that I fear about, that, I, that I'm regularly be tempted to be fearful in? And if you can think of, the, there's, an, there's an area of life that I'm regularly tempted to be fearful of. I would say the reign and the rule of Christ is meant to help govern your fear. And so be listening for how we can apply God to fear in our life. And do, do, I, fa do I view the future with, with, more, with more through the prism of fear or faith? Do I, do I view the prism more, more through that Jesus Christ is in control of my future or that my actions are in control of my future? I think... If you're, if you're somebody that's, boy, boy I, I, I tend to view life through the prism of fear. I think that's one of the things we, we, we want to talk about in this book. Is there an area of my life where I'm, where I'm walking in dis, disobedience? Or, or more likely, just walking disconnected from the rule of Christ. I don't know that's disobedience, but it's just I haven't really thought about 
how Christ thinks about what I'm listening to or spending my money on or my time for or whatever it would be, then I would, I would say then that would be an area where we, I'd say Colossians has a lot to say over every square inch of our life. Is there an, is there an area where I'm tempted to be lazy in? Because here's the reality, we're going to see this time and time again. When we, when we are focused and preoccupied on, on, when we have a heavenly mindedness, when we are aware of the reign of Christ, it does not lead to laziness and just sort of indifference. It leads to actions and obedience. Is there an area in my life where I just feel like I need encouragement in every day? Is there just an area where I regularly just feel discouraged? I submit that seeing Christ ruling and caring about this area of my life should, should inform how I feel discouraged. I need to ask, am I excited about heaven? Am I looking forward to heaven? Am I longing for heaven in a way that I actually think about it, in a way that actually makes a difference in my life? Or do I just think about heaven when I'm forced to or sort of, yeah, I guess it's a happy thought, but it's not something that I really think about regularly. Let me encourage you to to recognize that Colossians wants to give us a view of heaven that transforms us each and every day. Do I believe that Christ uses me in his earthly purposes? Do I have faith for what I do in the church and in the home and in my job, though on earth, that, that they have eternal significance? Because Colossians wants to lift our eyes to see what we do on the daily to have eternal significance. So as we set out on this book together, let me encourage you to, this book will help us to celebrate the rule of Christ. But it's a celebration not just for worship on Sunday, but for every day of our lives. And our hope is secure and it is unwavering and it is eternal. And so let our hope, let the hope that we discover time and time again in this book fuel our obedience and life in him. May our eternal hope fuel us each and every day. Let's pray. Father, would you, would you help us to be a people who, not just this week, though we do pray for that this week and even today, but over the coming months, who would put more and more, who would invest more and more of our hope in you, our hope in eternity. Lord, I pray that the end of 2021, we would be a people more confident in the rule of Christ, more transfixed by the rule of Christ, that we would be a people who are more godly on earth because Jesus Christ rules in heaven. And so, Lord, we do pray for any part of us that is not completely given over to you, completely not transfixed by the glory that awaits us. Lord, would you, would you unearth that from our hearts and help us to follow after you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.